Good morning, Bethany Community Church. Good Sunday morning to you. Hope that you are doing well. Please turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 17. And as, as you turn there, I've uh, just received a, a text that it's also the Durham's anniversary. So be sure, uh, Amber, Josh has told me all about the plans that he has. I mean, he's really putting out the money on this one. So it is going to, you're going to be really encouraged by how much Josh loves you. So happy anniversary, guys, uh, to, to you as well, as well as Bethany Community Church. So uh, we're in Judges chapter 17, and uh, we are entering the, the last section of the book of Judges. Remember, the, the first section was kind of the introduction, and then there were the chapters dealing with the cycles of, of sin, servitude, and then God's salvation, his deliverance through a judge. And now we are entering the, the last part of the book of Judges, the last five chapters, and there are, are terrible, terrible things that take place in these five chapters. These are not pleasant chapters. In fact, one person, I think this is kind of a, a person critical of Christianity, this is what he wrote about the story we're looking at today. He said, in all my life so far, and that's most of it, I've never heard a single reference from pulpit or songwriter, or study leader, or anybody else at all, never one single tiny whispered sound that related to the story of Micah in the book of Judges, which is the story we're looking at this morning, right? He said, the reason is that the story is so crazy, so mixed up, that obviously pastors are too embarrassed by it to let out a single peep. And of course, that is not the case. This is not a story we are embarrassed by, but it is definitely a story where some, some terrible things take place. And so we're going to look very carefully at some of the principles we can glean from this. But um, a little bit of a heads up for next week's message. The, next week's message has just terrible, terrible things that take place in it, these last three chapters. And so I'm not going to deal with, with some of the text that's, that's in those chapters. I'm, I'm not going to, to read it. I'm going to talk generally about some things that take place. And so, um, just want to give you a little bit of a warning that there are some, there are some hard things, just some very uh, terrible things that take place in that story, and, and you want, might want to be prepared uh, as, as a family or as an individual to kind of think about some of those things, particularly if you've had some, some traumatic things in, in, in your life take place. But this morning, we're in Judges 17 and 18, and I'm going to read Judges 17, the beginning of the story as we begin to see the apostasy of, first of all, the apostasy of a family, and then the apostasy of one of the tribes of Israel in chapter 18. But I'm going to read chapter 17 now. There was a, a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver's with me. I, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a, a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. It was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his eyes, his own eyes. 
Verse 7, now there was a young man of Bethlehem and Judah, the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem and Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a, a suit of clothes in your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Heavenly Father, we uh, turn with very heavy hearts to this section of, of Scripture. We recognize that what takes place in, in these chapters are, are terrible things, terrible uh, falling away from covenant relationship with you. And so we would ask that you would preserve us, you would help us to live rightly before you, and we would ask that you would convict our hearts of ways in which we do not worship you as you would have us to do. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by his enabling power, through the work of the Spirit. Amen. Right before COVID-19, the, the pandemic struck, uh, we were reading as an elder group uh, a book by Timothy Whitmer called The Shepherd Leader. And it's, it was an amazingly appropriate book to be reading right before all of this pandemic struck. In, in the book, Whitmer's talking about ways in which leaders can, can shepherd more effectively. And it was just a, a great way to prepare my heart before all of this took place. And in the book, he, he talks about a lot of different things. One of the things he talks about is the rise of individualism and the way in which the rise of individualism in, in America has affected how we worship. And he, he quotes a, a couple of researchers, and let me just read what these researchers wrote in their study that they conducted of religion in America. Here's, here's what these researchers concluded. Americans are making up their own rules, their own laws. In effect, we're making up our own moral codes. There's absolutely no moral consensus in this country as there was even in the 1950s. Today, there is very little respect for the law for any kind of law. The overwhelming majority of people, 93%, said that they and nobody else determine what is and isn't moral in their lives. They base their decisions on their own experience, even on their daily whims. That's, that's morality in, in America. Just, just like it was in the time of the Israelites here in the book of Judges when there's no king, there's, there's no commonly recognized king in our culture as well. And when there's, when there's no king, what do people do? They, they make up their own laws. They have their own morality. They, they decide what's right and wrong. And the impact of that on our worship is obviously profound. Worship is supposed to be about ascribing worth and value to God. We recognize who God is, we recognize his character, we, we come to his word and we understand who he is, and as we understand who he is, we, we, we praise him, we worship him, we ascribe worth to him, we, we recognize his glory. That's what worship is supposed to be. Now, 
what takes place when worship is perverted in, in a land with no king. What do we do? We, we create and fashion for ourselves our own gods, and we, instead of ascribing worth to God, religion becomes a means to ascribe worth to us. Religion becomes a means by which we pursue the gods that we desire. We fashion idols for ourselves who are, are strangely okay with, with whatever whim our flesh has. Money, fame, success, sex, whatever it is that we desire, our, our gods are okay with in a, in a land with no king. And we fashion these idols for ourselves, and instead of these, these idols con- confronting us, these idols are, are a means by which we pursue what our flesh desires. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, that is, come to God and understand who he is, understand his character, and, and delight in that. And, and as you do so, God is going to give you the desires of your heart. As, as your heart delights in him, God is going to give you himself. That's what Psalm 37.4 means. But what we take Psalm 37.4 to mean in our idolatrous state, in our land without a king, what we take it to mean is, look, I, I, can, I can say some words about God and, and delight in him, and he will give me what I want in my flesh. In my flesh, that is, which is opposition to God in his glory. Here's the main thing that I want you to think about as we look at the story of Micah. Religion, religion without God is just a man-made tool we wield to glorify ourselves. So in a land with no king, in a land where God is not recognized, religion is just this man-made tool that we've fashioned and we wield to to glorify ourselves. And as we look at chapter 17 and chapter 18 of the book of Judges, what we're going to do is we're going to look at kind of seven characteristics of both worshipers and shepherds in a land without a king and how we as worshipers and shepherds, we're going to go back and forth between a worshiper and a shepherd, a spiritual shepherd, how worshipers and shepherds in a a land without a king pervert worship. Here's the first thing. Number one, worshipers, worshipers, in a land with no king, are idolaters. That's, that's the first point that I want us to look at this morning. Worshippers in a land with no king are idolaters. Look what happens here in the story. The story begins in chapter 17, and there's a man named Micah, and he has a mom. And Micah comes to his mom and says, hey, mom, I, I heard you talking yesterday I, or this other day. I heard this curse that you made, and you were cursing the person who took your 1,100 pieces of silver. And uh, mom, that was me. I'm the person who took them. And his mom, now, by the way, 1,100 pieces of, of silver. We didn't talk about this last week in the story of Samson, but 1,100 pieces of silver is a lot of money. And it's hard to draw equivalencies, but let's just call it, it's like a million dollars, maybe even a little bit more in today's money. So it was, it was a ton of money. This 1,100 silver pieces, mom, I'm the person who took them. And his mom says, well, Micah, uh, 
blessed be you by the Lord. I'm glad you told me. And and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take these 1,100 pieces of silver, and I'm going to dedicate them to the Lord. And she takes them, she dedicates them to the Lord, and then she takes 200, and she takes them to a silversmith. And the silversmith, the way the ESV translates it, it makes it sound like it's, it's two images, but it's a, it's a crafted image made out of metal. So it's this one image. He, she, the silversmith fashions this image, gives it to the house of Micah. Micah takes it. He creates this shrine. He creates these, these vestments for worship. He creates these other household gods, and he has got his own little cult going. Can you count the red flags in the story, right? <laughs> I mean, you've got a, a son, not a, th- think about the, the violations of the Ten Commandments. A, a son's not honoring his mother, there's, there's lying, there is theft, there is taking uh, Yahweh's name in vain, there's the creating of false images. I mean, there is just all sorts of problems in the story. And What's interesting is that even though there's this, this blatant rejection of God and the way in which God has told them they're to live in this land and how they're supposed to worship him, despite all that, what are they doing? They're continuing to use God's name. So the mom says, blessed be Yahweh. She uses the, the, the covenant name for God, Yahweh. She says, blessed be him. But then she takes this money that she's dedicated to Yahweh and takes a portion of it and creates an idol out of it. It is messed up. Now, why is all this taking place? Verse 6 tells us, and look at verse 6. This is a a phrase you're going to encounter several times throughout these last five chapters. This is the, the point of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and that's what's taking place here. In a culture in which everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, Right theology, right, right doctrine is not that important. It's not that crucial. They don't care. In a culture where everyone's going to do what's right in their own eyes anyway, it doesn't matter what, what God's Word says. Now, here's what I would encourage you with as kind of a first point of application, a question to ask yourself. How closely, how closely does my conception of Jesus line up with my natural fleshly tendencies? Does that question make sense? Often, when we have a conception of Jesus, it's interesting how our conception of Jesus tends to be pretty much in agreement with what my natural desires are already. So, so for example, um, my Jesus is a Jesus that, that values hard work, but he's kind of indifferent when it comes to grace. Not all that concerned with it. Or, or my, my, my Jesus is a Jesus who is uh, passionate about social justice, and, and yet he's not all that concerned with holiness. Or my Jesus loves doctrine. He is excited about truth, and yet he's not all that concerned about the application of that truth in love. My point is this, so often the Jesus we conceptualize is a Jesus who makes no real challenges to what our natural tendencies are to begin with. When I was in, when I was in grade school, um, my Jesus told me to beat up a kid. I was, I was uh, talking with, with a friend and this other, fr- this other kid came up and he was just saying some, some terrible things and it became very, very evident that a fight was about to 
uh, ensue, and I, I had the thought, I was like, well, maybe Jesus wants me to beat up this kid because he's obviously not a Christian, okay? And so maybe there's going to be a, a, there's obviously going to be a fight that breaks out here. I'm obviously going to be involved in and I think Jesus wants me to beat up this kid. Now, as it turned out, that was not what Jesus wanted. Um, Jesus apparently wanted me to get a black eye. But as we think about our Jesus, it's interesting how often Jesus' desires, the Jesus we conceptualize for ourselves, just simply seems to want the same things that we do. That is idolatry. Here's a second thing I want us to think about as we think about worship and its perversion. Number two, shepherds in a land with no king are opportunists. So worshipers are idolaters. What about the spiritual shepherds? Shepherds in a land with no king are opportunists. In verses 7 through 11, we're introduced to a new character. It's, it's a Levite. Now, as we've talked about before, what were Levites supposed to do? Levites were going to be engaged in helping the people worship Yahweh. And they were to be kind of scattered throughout the, the land in different towns. And they were going to help the people understand who God is and, and how they were to worship him. And as they were in these, these different towns, the Levites had no inheritance. God, Yahweh, was supposed to be their inheritance, which is a, a beautiful picture of what the ministry of a pastor and what the ministry of a Christian should be. Now, what happens in this story? There's this Levite, and he's been in the town of Bethlehem. He's been part of the people of Judah, and he's decided to, to move on. Why is that? It says in the text that he is looking to find a place. In other words, faithful ministry to Yahweh in a land with no king was not going to be financially lucrative. And so this Levite is in search of something better, and he comes to the house of Micah, and Micah's got this shrine set up, and he's got all his household gods set up, and as he has all these things set up, here comes this priest, and this priest and Micah start talking, and Micah asks him to stay. He says, stay with me, be my priest, and I'm going to give you ten pieces of silver, a suit of clothing, and your living. And the Levite says, that sounds like a good deal. In fact, look at verse 11. It says the Levite was content to dwell with him, and that word content means he was pleased, he was excited about that opportunity. The sad reality is that spiritual shepherds often see their ministry not as a means to glorify God, but as an opportunity to indulge their flesh. That's, that's the reality. Spiritual shepherds often see ministry not as a means to glorify God, but as a means to indulge their flesh. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter. 2 Peter's talking about false teachers and says these, these, these false teachers have eyes of adultery. They're insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They've gone astray. They follow the way of Balaam, Balaam who loved gain from wrongdoing. Verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. 
brothers and sisters, let me, let me give a specific application and then a, a more general application. Just specifically, for pastoral ministry, for shepherding ministry, pastors and elders. Pastoral ministry is not a commodity to be sold. Shepherding ministry as a pastor, as a spiritual shepherd, that is not some commodity that we sell. And as pastors, there are many different ways to sell out, not just financial. We can sell out for the accolades and approval of other people. We can sell out for financial gain. We can sell out for esteem. We can sell out for the love of others, for the love of man. But Peter promises shepherds something. In, in 1 Peter, he says this to elder pastors in 1 Peter 5, verse 4. He says, look, guys, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. People who are engaged in pastoral ministry must remember this. Look, my, my reward is not right now. The, the, the thing that I'm doing this ministry for is not something that can be obtained right now, be it the approval of men, be it financial gain, be it uh, family stability, be it the, the accolades of the community, that is not why I'm engaged in this ministry. That is a, that's selling out. I'm engaged in this ministry because God himself has promised that if I am faithful right now to this thing that God has entrusted to me, if I, if I take this ministry that he's given me and I'm faithful right now, then God himself, when the chief shepherd appears, I'm getting eternal reward. Why would I settle for anything less? pastors, elders, we must remember that, that that is our motivation. We cannot be motivated by anything less than that. Now in general, more generally, all of us have sacred calling from God, and that calling we have for God in whatever shepherding ministry God has called us, we must pursue faithfulness, not self-aggrandizement. Is your discouragement as a parent, as a, as a single person, is your discouragement as an employee due to the fact that you're not doing what God would call you to do, or is your discouragement due to the fact that you're not receiving the things you would desire to receive in that ministry that God has given you? Very often, our discouragement is due to the fact that we're not getting the things that we want. Here's a third characteristic and thought to think about as we think about worship being perverted in a land without an, a king. Number three, Worshippers in a land with no king are also opportunists. It's not just spiritual shepherds, right? Real quickly, look at verse 12 and 13. Micah ordains this Levite, and he looks at this Levite and he says, Ta-da! I, I, had, I just had my son, but now I've, I've got a, a Levite, and this Levite is going to be like this, this magic charm for me. He says in verse 13, Now I know that the Lord Yahweh will prosper me because I have a, a Levite as a priest. I, I've got this, this person who is uh, designed by God to be a mediator between man and God in this position, and so now I'm going to be successful. We must be aware of the danger of becoming a consumer of religion instead of a worshiper of God. It's not just spiritual shepherds who can become opportunists. It's worshipers as well. Fourth thing to think about here, back to shepherds. 
shepherds in a land with no king are people pleasers. The story takes a turn in chapter 18. So chapter 17 is about how this, this family, the family of Micah, becomes apostate. Now we come into chapter 18. And in chapter 18, we see what happens with a whole tribe becoming apostate. Chapter 18 tells us about the tribe of Dan. And the, the tribe of Dan, as we remember from chapter 1, had not found their inheritance and now they're trying to, to find a, a place. They're not being able to, to conquer their area of inheritance. And so now they're trying to find a place of inheritance. And they, they send these guys out throughout the land to try to find a place for the tribe of Dan to go to. And wouldn't you know it, as these guys are traveling through the land of Israel, they come upon Micah and his house. And these people from the tribe of Dan ask they, they hear in Micah's house, they, they hear a sound, and they look over, and it's this guy they know. It's this Levite priest. These people from the tribe of Dan know this Levite priest. They recognize his, his voice, and so they come to him and say, hey, what are you doing here? And they say, well, uh, he, he says, well, I'm, I'm here with Micah. He dealt with me. He's hired me. I've become his priest. And they say to him, ask of God whether this journey will succeed that we're going on. In verse 6, he says, look, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Now, of course he said that. Why? Because he's a people pleaser. He's not a priest who's accurately communicating the words of God. God had told, already told the Danites what they were to do. They had not been obedient to that. And, the, and this, this priest is willing to say the things that he knows that they want to hear in order to find favor with them. Paul tells Timothy that, that this is not a problem unique to this priest. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And then he tells them why it's so important to do that. He, do, do that. he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, we're going to, our natural tendency is going to be to accumulate teachers that tell us what we want to hear. And our natural tendency as spiritual shepherds is going to be to tell people what they want to hear. Paul's words are important reminders for all of us. We must seek spiritual shepherds who will speak truth to us. Our temptation in a land with no king is going to be to be people pleasers as, as shepherds. God's words is no, we're to be truth tellers. Now, a little bit of an aside here. Uh, truth telling doesn't mean harshness. Sometimes people confuse harshness with truth telling. That's not what we're talking about here. Spiritual shepherds are those who love the people that they are serving with enough to communicate God's truth to them, even when they know they aren't going to want to hear it. And yet they do it in such a way that God is, is able to, to use the gentleness of a strong shepherd's strong words to reap eternal benefit in the life of the sheep. Speak spiritual shepherds who will speak truth to you in love. And be a shepherd who knows and will speak truth to those you're shepherding.
Let's look at the last few points here a little more quickly. Number five, worshipers in a land with no king are, are fools. And as you look at verses 7 through 14, all of this is, is the biblical definition of folly. So these, I mean, these Danites, instead of going to where God has told them to go and conquering the area that God has told them to conquer, instead they're trying to find an easy place. They go and they, they hear about this, this location, and so they go and they, they, they conquer this, this other area instead. But that, that's their, their goal. And as, they, as they're on their way, it says this in verse 14. So the, 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 are, the, the men who've been designated to fight are, are going. It says in verse 14, Then the five men who had gone to scout out the, the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. So in other words, look, um, as, as we're going, we know about this, these household gods and this, this image. Let's go there and let's, let's, let's get these gods. These guys, this, this tribe of Dan, is committed not to following Yahweh God, but to pursuing a God who's going to tell them what they want to hear. We are tempted to do the same thing, of course. We're tempted to live in the land in a, in a foolish way. We're tempted to seek out oracles that are going to tell us to do the things that God, is not, that is, that God has told us not to do. Don't like the marriage you're in? Find a spiritual shepherd who will tell you that it's okay to get out. Don't like the authority in your life? Figure out a spiritual shepherd who will tell you that it's okay to, to not like your boss or not like a politician. Don't like what your parents say? You can find someone who will tell you, hey, you know what? You don't have to listen to your parents. It's easy to find shepherds who will tell you what you want to hear. And those who live in a land, not in obedience to God, but in obedience to bad spiritual shepherds, the Bible tells us are foolish. They're fools. Number six, shepherds in a land with no king are wolves. Shepherds the land with no king are, are wolves. It, it shouldn't surprise us. We know that this Levite is a, an opportunist. We know that he's a people pleaser. And so it shouldn't surprise us what happens next. The, the tribe of Dan, these fighting men from Dan, come to this, this house and they, they grab Micah's carved image. They grab the ephah. They grab the household gods. And the priests ask them, hey, what are you doing? Verse 19, the men respond, keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. And then listen, to, they, they know this guy's heart. Is it better for you to be priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and a, a clan in Israel? In other words, man, you, this is your promotion. This is, this is your opportunity to, to make it big. And now, how, how, would a, how would a spiritual shepherd who loved the Lord and loved his people respond to that request? He said, no, no I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere. This is where God has called me to, to be. These are the people that I love. I, I don't care about being a, a, a priest to a tribe of Dan. I, this is where God has, has called me. I love these people. And, but what does this priest do? Look at verse 20. What does it say this, this priest's heart response was? He was glad. This was an exciting opportunity for him. Why? He had no love for Micah. Micah was a means to an end. Shepherds in a land with no king who aren't good biblical spiritual shepherds 
are, are wolves, and, and they wreak destruction on those whom they're called to love. Pastors sometimes get frustrated with, with church shopping, right? With, with people coming into a church and you invest, and then they kind of go to a different church and they're like this. I say, you know what? Hey, pastor, we appreciate the things you've done, but man, uh, like this church has a slip and slide and our kids really love slip and slides. And so, you know, we're going we're gonna to go. And we're sorry. You know, we, we know you love us, but we're going to go here. Or, you know, we're going to go to this church because um, they literally have a buffet. I don't know, whatever it is. Now, and I, I think... There are, of course, good reasons to, to leave a church at times, good ministry reasons, but there are also some bad reasons. And I think pastors sometimes can get discouraged by, by people leaving. But pastors need to realize, spiritual shepherds need to realize, we started it. There's something about the, the current culture of Christianity where there's an expectation that a spiritual shepherd is going to leave his flock if a better opportunity comes along. It's, 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 a, it's a very strange thing to me, but there's this idea that if, if you're at a church this size or in a church in this location and a better opportunity comes along, well, of course a pastor would leave his flock and go to the, this, other, this other church or this other flock. Now, there are times where just like people in a church may be called to a different church, there are times when a pastor in a church may be called to a different church, certainly, but... In a land with no king, a spiritual shepherd is a wolf and an opportunist and a people pleaser and is going to have no desire to stay and care and love and protect his flock. Paul tells the elders in Ephesus this in Acts chapter 20, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, this is the tragic thing, from among your own selves, this, this group of elders that I'm talking to you right now, from among this group, they're going to rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Be on the alert. Brothers and sisters, here's the reality. This church, for those of us who are part of Bethany Community Church, Jesus Christ has paid for this church with his own blood. Shepherds, you think there's something better out there? God has called us to protect the flock, and in a land with no king, in a land with no king where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, of course we're not going to value the church. But, but brothers and sisters, for those of us who are shepherding at any type of ministry at Bethany Community Church, this is a church that Jesus Christ has paid for with his own blood. We must protect it. Here we see the, the terrible state of religion in a land with no king, which leads us to the, the last characteristic here, which, which is no surprise. Worshippers in a land with no king are, are apostates. They, they fall away. Verses 21 through 31 of chapter 18 just describe this, this terrible reality. This, this tribe of Dan goes full on into this, this terrible worship of this, this false god. And then the kicker, the whole story leads to this, 
this big conclusion in verse 30. It says the people of Dan, this is the, the story gets at its, the, the height of apostasy here in verse 30. The people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. He, instead, of, instead of taking the land that God had called them to, to take and to worship God and to live in covenant obedience, now they've taken an area God hadn't told them to go to. They've conquered it. They've set up a false God. And then here is, notice, if you notice throughout the whole story, beginning, chap, beginning in chapter 17 to 18, we've talked about the priest, the priest, this Levite, the priest, we, we haven't said his name. And now, his name is revealed. His identity is revealed. It says it's Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. This Levite that is leading the tribe of Dan in apostasy, it's Moses' grandson. The apostasy has struck close to home. None of us are immune from falling away from the faith apart from God's sovereign and gracious hand. We must come to our senses and must turn not to ourselves to understand what is right, to understand what will benefit us. We must turn to God and look to his King, Jesus Christ. Religion without God is just a man-made tool we use to glorify ourselves. God calls us to turn to him in repentance, to see the beauty of his son Jesus, to worship him and him alone. And Heavenly Father, we, we recognize in this story profound truths about our own lives and our own tendency to, to fall away from a relationship with you and our own temptation to do that. We pray that you would protect us as we worship. Bring to mind areas in which we are not worshiping you rightly, in which we're fashioning false Jesuses for ourselves, that you would help us to, to turn away from those false idols, those false idols of God, and worship you and you alone. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.